Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick and this is episode number 147 of the Mandolins and Beer Podcast brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. How is everybody doing? I am speaking to you right now. It's Friday morning. I am in Manchester, Vermont at a lovely motel here uh, and have the windows cranked open. I, I can't remember the last time I've had 70 degree weather. So we have the windows open. You maybe hear some uh, cars driving by the main street here, but... I feel it captures the vibe. I'm in Vermont for the Green Mountain Bluegrass and Roots Festival. We stopped by the location and met with Jill and, well, didn't meet John yesterday. I met with Jill, though, and what a killer location. This is so exciting. We walked around the grounds. The campers are all setting up. Heard a little bit of picking, but man, I'm so excited for this weekend. So I want to thank Jill and John again. I'll be doing some emceeing as well. So yeah, this is going to be a blast. So I hope you're going to find time. If you're in the area, there are still tickets available. So uh, come on up. Some some killer music all weekend long. So And I also want to thank everybody um, who sent recommendations. A few people, a uh, uh, guy, Shay up in uh, Portland sent me the most detailed, incredible list. Um, so thank you so much for that. It was a little rainy on uh, Wednesday when we were in Portsmouth and um, in Portland. So we just kind of shot right up to Portland and wandered around there, had a ton of great local beers and great local food. And, um, and I have to give a shout out. We went to Music Emporium and they had great, great selection of instruments. Uh, and especially from sponsors of this podcast, they had Pava, they had Ellis, and they had a bunch of Northfields. And I want to thank Steven, who was super nice. And uh, even he went and got a, a Dudenbostel that they had just taken in. It was not on the wall yet and brought it up to play. So Steven and, and, and the folks at Music Emporium, they were uh, Great, great people. I highly recommend if you're in the Boston area that you shoot over to Music Emporium. And as you know, one of my sponsors is Elderly Instruments. That was the store that I would go to, uh, you know, as much as I could when I lived in Michigan. And, and, and I hold all all stores to that standard. And uh, yeah, it was great, man. So I, I definitely recommend it if you are in the Boston area. Also, recommendations. I recommend this new book by Jason Anik. This this episode is was was great conversation. Jason is a really inspiring guy to talk to, and it was really neat too because as he he does play mandolin, but he comes from a different a little bit of a different world as far as that goes. And and with like the classical background, just some of the exercises and the training that they do are a little bit different. And just talking to him again, it was really inspiring. The book is great. Uh, the mental visualization thing that he talks about. I've been doing it every night since um, since this interview, and uh, it, it really seems like it's working. It's 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 amazing. So uh, I'm excited for that. Again, I'll have links to where you can get the book. I believe the physical book is available maybe right through Jason's website, definitely through Hal Leonard. And the only place I could find the ebook was on Amazon. But you can download the ebook um, from them. So. All right, let's get into the sponsors real quick. Peghead Nation. With Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass, you'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. They have a great lineup. I say the greatest lineup of mandolin instructors with courses by Sharon Gilchrist, who will be here this weekend. Uh, Joe K. Walsh. Also will be here this weekend. Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibish, and Chad Manning. 
Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month for free. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. I played a couple beauties. Um, the five-bar model that they, as a 2022, oh my. And they had the uh, came in the new case, too, those new carbon fiber cases. So uh, be sure to check those out. Again, you want to go to their website. They're doing a limited pricing uh, on those cases. So the case prices are going to change if you want to guarantee yourself one at the lowest price. Go get one today. Northfield Mandolins. Science! That's one of the secrets to a balanced mandolin. The other secret is straight up strings. Again, I say this every time I talk about these straight up strings. I don't understand it. But what I do understand is you can hear every note of every chord with straight up strings. If you want to read more about it, you go to straightupstrings.com and there's a huge description on on how Roger put together the set of strings. It's amazing. And they also have a great newsletter to sign up for while you're there as well. So get yourself some straight up strings at straightupstrings.com. I'm going to do both Pava and uh and Ellis mandolins today because I got to play a couple of them this week designed and built in Austin, Texas. Let me tell you something about both those mandolins. They have a sound and that sound is incredible. I mean, you have to play one to to really understand it. The craftsmanship, they're beautiful looking. I mean, you see the pictures on Ellis's websites and on Facebook and all that good stuff, but you got to get one in your hands and play a Pava or play an Ellis. Yeah, you won't be sorry. They sound incredible. So I want to thank them for sponsoring this episode. And Elderly Instruments. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted and stringed instruments for experienced beginner player. Their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins? Includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. Now in their 50th year, they're family-owned and operated ship worldwide, and you can visit them at any time. At elderly.com. All right, folks, let's get into the episode with Jason Anik. Fantastic episode, getting ready to uh, to head out into beautiful Vermont. So uh, have yourselves a fantastic weekend. I'll be posting some updates and some uh, stories and reels from the festival, and uh, hopefully I'll do some catch-up and do a little catch-up episode with some of the players I haven't talked to in a minute. Cheers, everybody. Jason Anik. Jason, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Man, thank you so much for doing it. I really, really appreciate it. Um, what reminded me to have you on was you just had a book published by Hal Leonard, which is which is a huge thing, Hal Leonard being a major publisher. And um, and it's the violin mastery or violin fingerboard mastery. And mm-hmm. um and one of the things I love about uh, violin books is they just they help you approach the mandolin in a different con you know context as opposed to you know what you might just get stuck in that first position 
And this book is killer, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. I really do. And, um, you know, and it's not just, it's not just broken down into, oh, it's just scales and arpeggios. It's really well thought out and to help people with improvisation and, and different things like that. So congratulations on the book. Oh, thank you. No, man, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thrilled to finally get it out there. These, these exercises and studies that I've been working on myself on both violin and mandolin, um, I kind of see the fingerboards very similarly, although there's some, of course, some divergence in certain things quarterly um, and certain ideas. But I, I'm actually, I feel like I'm pretty connected to the fingerboards in a similar way. But I've been compiling these exercises for years, doing them with my students, working on, on them myself, just to, to know it inside out from a more of a chord perspective, arpeggio perspective. And I wanted the whole fingerboard to light up. So when, I, when I'm playing a, a song, or learning a song, you know, it all kind of makes sense. I can learn it faster. I can really play deeper in, in the, inside the harmony. And so that's what uh, I've been trying to do with this book and boil it down and um, have this set of um, studies that people can dive into, violinists or mandolin players, and kind of have a, a nice supplement to whatever they're practice regimen is already this is something to kind of add in and um you know help people in different ways well and that's the great thing I, you mentioned like having the fingerboard light up when you're when you're playing a song like mentally mm -hmm. and, and that's just one of the things i think as any mandolin player anybody who picks up an instrument like the first thing you want to do as a musician it seems like is you want to improvise like how do i learn to improvise mm. and, and i have to be honest like looking at this book this is like one of the best examples I can say of like, wow, this book actually really kind of gets you off on the right foot. And um, it's really bite size as far as what I think the examples go. It's not like some books you get and it's like, OK, here's a scale. And then two pages later, you're in some crazy thing that you just you went from A to Z. And suddenly you're like, I have, I have no yeah, idea how to apply this yeah. or work on any of this. Absolutely. <laughs> Every Everything that I put in the book is foundational and is I, what I think so like something that's extremely important. And often people have gaps in foundation. Sometimes they they either get stuck somewhere or they find these books that have every mode and every fingering <laughs> and every permutation and you can't make music from it. And so what I, what I wanted to boil down is like the ability to, to see the instrument in a way where you can then be as musical as possible because ultimately improv is hearing things and um, you know, being able to have, be inspired. But I think if you're kind of, you see a chord chart and you're just like searching for just like hoping you can find the root of the chord then you just never make melodies you never you never feel like you're actually weaving through the, the harmony and changes and um and so some people get overwhelmed or they just don't know where to start and so yeah i i really appreciate that you uh that you, you like how it's laid out yeah i'm i'm really excited to see how what people get from it like what are people's favorite chapters, what things like really hit home for them and what it kind of unlocks in their playing. It, you know, I love, I love that. Cause I think it's, like I said, it's very foundational and I think people can take it 
to different places from there. You know, maybe some new composition ideas, new arrangement ideas. Oh, I never thought about moving chords in in this way, and it kind of uh, un, unveils like a new harmonic uh, sequence or some um, some new harmonic idea. So I'm really excited to see what what people get from it, and um, you know what what uh, what it helps people unlock in their own playing. And for people who might not be familiar with you, um, how I stumbled across you years and years and years ago was there's a great video, which I'll um, I'll post a link on uh, mandolinsandbeer.com, but there's a great video I found of you and Jake Jolliffe playing What a Wonderful World, and you're playing an electric mandolin, and he's playing mm-hmm. acoustic, and it is amazing. Not just in, and again, it's not like just shredding amazing both of you play both parts like so thoughtful into it and then there's just like blazes of hot licks or (laughs) or even even not when they're hot licks and again this is what i think makes a musician um more masterful is playing just like like you'd play like a slow pass through the very beginning melody but you just add these notes around the melody that just would that made me want to try have it transcribed somewhere around here in one of these books like i remember slowing it down and it was just like that's how you approach a tune (laughs) oh oh thank you yeah you know when uh years years back back when jake was um in in boston we would get together from time to time and just play tunes and i just said i think there was one time i was like hey let's just uh i got a youtube channel let's just we're having some we're we're making some good music let's uh let's just film it and it was wasn't like one of those things where hey come over we're gonna film some videos uh (laughs) we're gonna do this and we're gonna like do 10 takes take the best no that was just like i think it was like hey how about what a wonderful world in g cool and that was that (laughs) yeah it's it's really great and there's a bunch of uh, great mandolin content out there There's also some other great content of you playing mandolin on YouTube as well, and um, and you're just a fantastic mandolin player. And and I I think this is a great example in your bio here on the very the very first paragraph for people who are like, oh, maybe I should get this book if this doesn't push them over. It's uh, Berkeley College of Music professor Jason Anik has earned a reputation among string players as an imaginative imaginative improviser, a versatile composer, and insightful educator. I mean, those uh, who would not buy a book from you if you want to get better at an instrument? <laughs> That's amazing. No, I appreciate it. Absolutely. Now, are you st- are you still at Berkeley? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I've been just hit my ten years teaching there. Wow! Get out of here. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'd say I, I do more violin there, but I always have a couple of Mando students. You know, Joe Walsh is there as well. So he, he takes the bulk of the mandolin students. And I, I always get a, a couple each semester, especially if they are really um, interested in my pr- approach and um, some of the, the perspective I have for, for the mandolin as well, um, you know, from a more of a, a jazz perspective. As an instrumentalist, when did you first start playing music? Yeah, so 
um, I started playing violin around five. My dad is actually a great uh, bluegrass and swing guitar and fiddle player um, and just a general music lover. So he, he wanted me to play an instrument and saw me gravitate towards the violin pretty early on. And so he, so, so he got me doing classical violin, kind of a Suzuki method. And he was teaching me fiddle tunes, um, you know, when I was, when I was uh, like during summer or, or I would do like fiddle contests and, or, you know, he would be teaching me these fiddle tunes. So pretty early on, I had a nice foundation in classical as well as learning by ear and kind of improvising and coming up with my own variations on fiddle. So he really encouraged that early on. Yeah, and when I was about 11, I think it was about 11, he took me to see Stefan Grappelli play. him perform at Mechanics Hall in Worcester. It was his last tour. Um, and I, I actually got to meet him after the show. It was it was absolutely incredible. And around that time, I was really starting to explore more improvisation and composing. And again, something that was really encouraged by my dad, who also composes. Um, he, he had me, uh, I started playing guitar as well. So that was another instrument that I picked up and I found it really valuable for composing is playing guitar and but I was really also curious about improvising on violin and listening to a lot of uh, Charlie Parker and uh, jazz musicians and I had this itch to like I didn't didn't hear a lot of violinists that could really just like improvise you know chorus after chorus after chorus and so I got really excited to try to be that person um, and then the mandolin came in because, um, my, my dad plays violin, guitar, and mandolin. And so he had some great mandos laying around and I, I came at it a little after I started guitar. And, and so I, I was getting some of the picking already from, from playing guitar and working on these songs and trying to compose on that. And then I had the, the fingerboard layout that I was starting to develop on the violin so I picked up mandolin fairly quickly, but it, but funny, the funny thing about it is when I first grabbed the mandolin, I, I was like, it was like maybe with a, like one year in, I, I was still hyper-focused on playing violin as my main thing. And so I was seeing like some of the mandolin practice as like bonus practice, like, okay, <laughs> it's chill. It's low key. I can watch a movie and practice my fingerboard, um, practice um, Bach that I was it's like, I, I got burnt out doing a couple hours of, on the violin, but I still had all these things in my head. I wanted to play. So I grabbed the mandolin. It's more chill. And so I think the, like the first year I played mandolin, um, like I love, I loved the, the mandolin and I was, course um really inspired by and listening to like chris Thiele and david grisman quintet so
um, I, I really like love mandolin, but I think the first year I was like, I kind of used it for extra practice. And then I started to really fall in love with it. And then I started to compose on it and I started to use it more in, later um, within my groups or within recording sessions and um, making more videos. It's just kind of funny that the first year I, I played mandolin was just to get extra violin practice. <laughs> <laughs> it makes so much sense. It's so much quieter, you know, if you, especially if without the bow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I eventually um, got an electric mandolin. The first, the one that you saw in the video with Jake was the first electric mandolin I ever got, and it was one of those Saga musical instrument kit ones. Oh, kid out, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, they're they're not too expensive, but they actually sound pretty good. What you know, you, there's the there are these kit ones that you you can either have them build it for you, which is what I did, or some people are savvy and they build it themselves. But they're great sounding, um, inexpensive electric mandolins, and especially through like a uh, a nice amp, whether like you know a Fishman acoustic amp or like I had a a Blues Junior as well you can get a nice sound out of it. So that was my first electric mandolin. And I love guitar players. And I love, of course, playing um, Django's music. I loved listening to Django. He's somebody that I really love his phrasing. And he, um, he really inspired me. And, you know, playing violin, I could get some Django ideas down, but didn't have the same feeling. But when I started to play mandolin and uh, electric mandolin, I felt like I could start get getting a little more like a Django type phrasing or uh, some of the other players in that genre, like uh, Borelli Legrand is another one who really inspired me. So um, I feel like with the electric mandolin being single, it, it had a bit, had the mandolin, but also a bit of a guitar aesthetic. And at that time, I was really into guitar players and so kind of learning their ideas and their licks. it was a great experience i th i wish i was a little older so that the the whole gravity of it was more felt but i definitely knew it was special i think i was 11 so uh you know and i was i was hearing these recordings and was just blown away that this could be done on the violin <laughs> right and then seeing it live was amazing and, and and getting to meet him he was just very warm and very nice and encouraging like you know, you know, he just encouraged me to to do it as well. So, yeah, it was a, it was a wonderful, a wonderful experience. Of course, if I was a little older, uh, it would have had different meaning. But 
yeah, I think back to at it a lot, and I definitely think it was very pivotal. If you could go back and ask him one question, what would you ask him? Hmm. That's a good question. Hmm. One question for Grappelli. You know, I'd be curious about his some of the things that he practiced early on. He 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 famously in some interviews was would say, Oh, I don't practice violin, I practice piano. <laughs> which which is like amazes you and angers you at the same time. But I would be curious about like because he, you know, he came out with like when you watch the video of Django and Grappelli playing, there's only a few out there. His setup is amazing. His sound and his everything about it is just is just perfect. It's like, what are some of the early things that got him to that level? Because there's not in his book, he he doesn't really talk about it that much. You know, he talks about mostly being self-taught. You have to imagine, you know, being around Paris, he probably saw some great violinists, maybe even street performers. But I think I would want to try to piece, see if I could piece together what got him to that, that, like to that first phase where the Hot Club of France was formed and he was already really doing something extraordinary. Yeah, he does some runs on some of those recordings where when you say street performer, it does almost seem like it's some of them. It's just so fast and almost like in a good way, like funny. Like it seems like you could almost, you know, see him doing it with a giant smile on his face. You know what I mean? Like, uh, (laughs) like magic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Had that that just awe in his in some of the things that he would do and just so perfect and so swinging. And I guess also it'd be great to hear from him just some of his other influences i know he mentions like you know the new orleans players like uh, louis armstrong but it'd be it'd be interesting to see like the discography of what he listened to to kind of get that sound in his head i you know the full the full list because i think later on he probably forgot um you know what was he hearing what was uh really inspiring all of the the licks unbelievable stuff and, and when you were into guitar besides um i know you mentioned uh borelli but were there any other mm-hmm. guitar players that were kind of that you were really into that you dove into that kind of maybe helped develop the style that you've that you've got now as a musician hmm. yeah so i i, I for, for guitar i of course dug into west montgomery uh love his phrasing love his playing um and uh, there was an uh, emergence of the uh django gypsy jazz tradition of these great young players in france and i was starting to go to camps for this style of music there's one in django called django in june which is in northampton yeah and i was still in high school at the time and some amazing young players like uh, Adrian Moignard, Sebastian Gino, there's a whole list I could just rattle them off. But people, if they're curious to hear them, they should check out an album called Selmer 607. It's this uh, album that a lot of these great young virtuosos from France who are kind of, you know, protégés of the Django Borelli uh, playing, but doing some really exciting things. So I was definitely inspired by hearing that.
approach and how fresh it was. And that definitely got me really amped and in, informed some of the things I would do on the violin as well as uh, guitar and ultimately mandolin. Because I, I, when, I, when I started to play more mandolin from guitar, I had a lot more facility and, the, and familiarity and a deeper connection to the instrument um, from a harmonic perspective. So I, I, I definitely focus more soloistic stuff on the mandolin, guitar, more uh, understanding harmony and composing and arranging um, for, for different groups. Watching that, as we've been talking, I'm like visualizing a little bit of your journey, and it makes sense when you're playing like the um, you're playing the electric mandolin. You're doing what a wonderful world. That was one of the things I was thinking. Is like, how does a violin player come up with these voicings for the chord backing? <laughs> you know. Mm. And so, uh, yeah. Now, as we're talking more about guitar, now I'm like, yeah, okay, I see. Now that makes that makes sense. That's great. Yeah, the the, the guitar foundation definitely helped helped that, um, as well as just my obsessive curiosity of the <laughs> instrument and um just trying to figure out every possible uh voicing and ha- what kind of color they create and i just i just love the inch i love discovering all of the the three note chord voicings that especially of course like comping it's great but i really like playing chords within a solo i find that very interesting um and something I, I I really like to do. So it's great to see what you can explore playing interesting chord voicings that have all these color tones to them. And so I'm just always like, discovering things about the instrument and uh, exploring possibilities. So, I'll, you know, definitely the, the guitar taught me a lot about harmony in general and then i transfer a lot of that of course to my discovery on the mandolin and 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 violin you into improvisation um some people you know again especially because you went you went to school for music and you and you teach at berkeley and i think sometimes Mm -hmm. um when you meet some people who are really schooled at music they kind of fall in two camps you know some people this always surprised me like meeting like especially like there's one saxophone player in particular because I never thought of sax as being something you would just stare at paper and that's the only way you could play. They couldn't improvise. Mm-hmm. They're like, I can play mm-hmm. whatever you write and put in front of me, but I just don't improvise. And I didn't realize that was a camp. And as I got to meet more people that played professionally, they're like, oh yeah, I just, I, I can, you know, I'm kind of more of like a paper player, you know? And I'm like, weird, you know? But you, mm-hmm. I mean, which, and obviously you can probably do that in paper. You wrote a book, <laughs> but you chose improvisation as well and, and are renowned in that. So what kind of got you into the prop, the improvisational world? Yeah. So I think there was some, 
something that I don't know if I was like born with it, but I always like I, there was something that like early on I would want to like write or compose or explore and not, I was fearless with it. So that was something that um, was both like, I seemed to like, I remember when I was maybe like eight years old, I would create different characters. So I would be like different types of characters learning the violin and that would change like how I played it. Or I would try to take a melody that I learned and, I would, uh, yeah, like I'd bring, put it through different characters and um, it would change the way I played it. So I don't know that, I feel like there was a some sort of creativity that um, was, was there pretty early on, but was really um, encouraged. And then uh, it was like pushed in a good way from, from my dad. So he saw that I was, you know, had the creativity. And when he saw that I liked improvising, he would, create little grooves like he hey let's uh let's jam it i'm talking about like 10 11 now so it's like i'm gonna jam on this a minor chord just explore what's possible you know you know oh that classical piece you played was in a minor maybe come up with your own melody so it was really it was really pushed and explored and then so i was interested in it i loved the the fact of um that uh it was like I, no one could sound like me when I, when I was improvising and I always loved that. So I think that's something that excited me was how much of an individual I could be. Um, and that was, was really pushed and encouraged from my dad at an early age and continued. I think as I got older, a thing that was really important was going to fiddle camps and seeing other improvisers and us pushing each other. I mean, I, I met, I met uh, Alex Hargraves, Mike Barnett, Jeremy Kittle, Christian Howes, Daryl Anger. I met all these people when I was pretty young, and they're all they were all great then. And so we were pushing each other as improvisers, and um, I would get fueled after these camps and go home and um, discover so many things after that. And then the next year, I'd want to like, hey, all these things I was working on, and everyone was sharing ideas, and so I think it was encouraged at home through, through my family. And then once I started to meet other people at these camps and then it was like, it was just uh, full steam ahead after that. Wow, man, that is fascinating that creating different characters and playing what a, what a cool way to think of something <laughs> and to approach something, you know, like how to, how to play a lick in different styles, you know, that, wow, that's really, really <laughs> neat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, I, 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 it was great that, that, um, my dad definitely like, uh, pushed that. He was also trying to buckle me down and be like, well, if you want to do this, you have to make sure that you practice this or get, <laughs> you know, and that, that, that took a little extra nudging, but the creativity that I could do it all day. Um, but once I then realized that I could, or I can maximize my ability to be creative by being strong on the instrument, whether violin or mandolin. It's like, okay, then I really buckled down because to me, like practicing, like for example, the stuff in the book, all these exercises were a means to ends of being as creative and um, as musical as possible. So once I, once that kind of clicked, it was like five, six hours a day of, of wanting to practice and listening and learning solos and, um, and, and these 
you know, discovery exercises of, of the fingerboard. Um, for sure. Well, let's let's dive a bit into the book because I think this is, again, it's really rare. There's a lot of great books out there. A lot of times when these books come out, mandolin books, a lot of times they're tune-based, you know, so it's a lot of like, oh, 20 bluegrass tunes or mm-hmm. 20 jazz tunes. And uh, this is the first time in a long time where I've, where I've gotten a new book that's had this approach where I've been as excited and like, man, this this is, I wish I would have had this book, you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Um, it's, it's really, really exciting. And, and again, Hal Leonard, man, I mean, I used to work in, um, in the book world years ago Uh, and and Hal Leonard always, whenever a book was coming out and Hal Leonard had their name on it, it was always like, this is going to be a good book. (laughs) This is, you know, it seems like, I don't know what people they have going through these things, but you know, uh, you know, they were always, you know, especially like if it was guitar wise, it was always like, Oh, this is going to be as close as you can get to whatever, you know? So that kudos on getting it like on a a really big publisher like that. And how how long have you been working on the idea of knowing a book was coming out on Hal Leonard? Yeah. So, so, um, you know, I, w- I worked with uh, Berkeley Press as well. So Berkeley Press oh, yeah. works with Hal Leonard. Another great um, company, by the way. Books from Berkeley Press are usually yeah. <laughs> really, really excellent. Yeah. So, you know, I've been compiling a lot of the ideas from the book as, as more isolated exercises. And then I presented maybe – I mean, I'm trying to think. It, it was – Maybe right before the pandemic, I started to talk to Berkeley Press. And then once the pandemic hit and all my gigs were canceled, I was like, this is a perfect time to like actually write this. And I have all this this free time that normally I'd be gigging so much that my time to, you know, write a book like this was just impossible. So the, the timing worked and they they were interested. They I presented to them and I explained why I thought there was uh, interesting or there's a need for this kind of book there's plenty of just straight scale books out there there's plenty of this and that but i, I felt like i could um present something new and they 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 then berkeley press brought it to hal enter and they were excited about it and then it was actually writing it and and doing that and <laughs> around that same time there was you know of course the pandemic and then i had a baby my wife and I had a baby. And so I actually wrote a lot of the book with um, like trying just like basically my, my son Milo sleeping in a little carrier on me. I would just write it. It was all, the book was all in my head. I barely had to touch my instrument for this whole book. Um, except for when I got to like the etudes, um, like at the end, a lot of the, at the end, I do all these, uh, I compile all the ideas throughout the book, and then I show here, here's how I actually will use all this stuff to create interesting solos. Of course, that I grabbed my instrument and made sure that everything <laughs> sits nicely and feels good. But I did a lot of the book because it was these exercises that um, were either on paper or in my head. But what I wanted to do for the book is I really wanted to try to make it as clear as possible of the why to practice it, how to practice it, and then uh, and just make it make it a uh, something that that people can use and really get a lot out of, and and, and try to make it as yeah, like I said, as clear and um, as logical as pro- possible with some of these some of the exercises. I just had them in short form, and so I had to really make them more comprehensive and 
but yeah, it's just funny that I wrote most of the book during a pan global, the, the pandemic with a baby sleeping on me. <laughs> <laughs> the things that we do, right? That's amazing. It does tie into, <laughs> I, I, I'll get to that in a second here, but it does tie into one of the, the, the very first chapter of the book. Um, but just to kind of what you said about the, the, etu- or the etudes in here is one of the things that a lot of scale and exercise books completely forget about is that you want to apply these to songs. And you mm-hmm. go through and you have Sweet Georgia Brown, Tiger Rag, After You've Gone, Back Home Again in Indiana, Rose Room, and Limehouse Blues are tunes that you can work on these examples mm-hmm. over. Those are great tunes, man. So Yeah, it, it, great know, tunes and great chord progressions that, you know, that, that are when you learn things how to play over those songs, they transfer to everything. Yeah. So I thought right away, that's appealing. That And, and that was, again, just looking at like the contents before I bought it. And, and it is available in print. It's available online um, as an ebook, and it's got downloadable music. And I would imagine the book either comes with a code where you can get the songs, download them to your computer, iPhone or iPad as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And the, the other thing that I really wanted it, with like the backing tracks was with e- with each chapter you know let's say we're looking at uh, one about triad pairs where uh, you know we you use try two different triads you map them out and voice lead them and that's really really helpful for knowing knowing chords and knowing your your arpeggios and sometimes i would show that to people and they would hit a dead end but i think the cool thing and what i wanted to do with the backing track was um i had my some of my favorite players who i play with a lot record these great grooves like real different different types of grooves whether it's uh latin style or swing um and like i would do call and response where i would play a phrase using an idea and then it gives you to call and response back and forth because that's something i remember some of my favorite books uh and ways to learn was like you learn a concept and then you actually hear it done live. Often we had to just find it in a recording. We'd have, we'd, we'd learn something. Oh, I just learned the diminished scale. Like now what? And then you hear somebody play it in a recording you like, and you're like that sound and you connect those dots like that. That's something that I think is super valuable. And that's one of the things I wanted to do with the backing tracks is so is me just constantly doing a call and response and a couple solo examples, like the etudes you can play along with me and, so that was something I really wanted to do, and um, I, I think that a lot of people will benefit, hopefully will benefit from uh, the call and response to kind of see, well, this is actually how I give it a groove and give it some feeling and use it in a, in a way over chords that, that is uh, applicable, not just like a straight, you know, because like a lot of the stuff I wrote, it's pretty straight rhythm, and then you learn the phrasing and the rhythm and the groove of how to use it from the call and response. And, and people, if you, um, I believe Hal Leonard, their website. I I didn't listen to these songs on the Hal Leonard. Hal, excuse me, Hal Leonard website. I, I I downloaded them to my my iPad. But um, if you don't want to download them, I believe you can usually just go there, and they have a really cool playback function where you can loop things, you can slow things down, and, yeah, and do some really yeah, cool stuff right stuff. there. Yeah. You know, which mm-hmm. is great. 
One other thing I want to rec- uh, recommend to people too, or listen to this and like, well, it's a violin book. And there's a whole, a whole chapter called G major deep dive. And on mandolin, I mean, yeah, 90% of the time in bluegrass songs, you're playing in G major. <laughs> so yes, a, yeah. There's the, a chapter. G major is a, <laughs> G major is a great, a great key to explore. It's, it's, it's our lowest note and, it's really interesting. I, 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 something I was always curious about was these deep dives. And what I think about like a deep dive is you take the whole scale series and you just see what's possible. How many different ways can you uh, like different ways? Can you play around with the scale that actually creates interesting like patterns and new types of melodies and phrases that you maybe didn't know before, before you did the deep dive. And so and you can apply that to any any key, but G is a great key. It's, it really is a good key. whether you're on violin or mandolin. It's just a it's just a nice key. But I, hopefully there'll be some surprises in there. That's the thing. People think, oh, I know G. They got their couple G licks. But the deep dive is you want to. I, I coin I think of this this phrase called infinite licks. Of course, it's hyperbole, but the idea is that you always have something new to say, even if it's just a looped G major chord. Always something fresh. And a lot of these things that were that that you hear a lot of players talk about on the on the podcast, you know, voice leading, triads, the circle of fifths, um, chromat- chromaticism. All these things are. Are, are broken down in here and the most intriguing thing I found and in all my years I of probably book buying and playing music and and I consider myself pretty nerdy in researching these things you know what I mean like where people would look at stats for baseball players I would yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean I, I'm more musically oriented about that I can have some pretty useless knowledge banging around in my head here but um, one of the things I'd never really heard of before was mental practice and fretboard visualization mm-hmm. and I would love for you to talk about this because instantly after I bought the book I'm like I'm gonna I am gonna go through every page of this book because that blew me away right off the bat yeah yeah so so people who play maybe play classical then when they think about mental practice they think about um a piece that they have in their muscle memory so much that they can kind of like see the score in their head and they kind of like review the score a bit um as mental practice like okay i just practiced a bunch i need to take a break but the score like they go some people i know go to bed and they like the night before the concert, they they will um, run run the, the piece by kind of looking at the score. But the way that I do it more in improvisation and to know the fingerboard, uh, it was my goal was to be able to pick a song, like just like pick a, a song out of the blue, like oh, uh, all things you are, and I can I can improvise a solo in my head without even having an instrument and know what it would sound like and know that it would work over the chords and that it's actually following the changes. And that took years and years to get to that point. Oh, I bet. <laughs> it's, not, I bet. <laughs> it's not something that's it's not something that's easy. So that's like more like the advanced way to do it. But from a, like from its simplest point, like there's research that's been done that mental practice where you're basically visualizing your, I visualize my hand doing exactly what, what I would be doing with the instrument. And it's like, uh, like I can see if it's on the violin, I can see a little violin fingerboard coming out. I can see my hand playing it, whether it's a song, 
I went to lick or any of these exercises, I, I can practice them without the instrument. And, and if it's a, and if it's a, a mandolin, I, I'll picture almost like where the mandolin would be, like a like a you can almost um, air mandolin, you know. But you don't even need to like air it; you can just see your hand doing it in your head. And the benefit is that you really double down your practice, but it also it, it gets you to a level of knowing chord changes so well that you have the freedom to really uh, be as to me like as creative and as musical as possible. You're not you're you're basically reiterating um, the layout of it so that you have the the structure there and. You see it. It's like that when I said earlier, the fingerboard lighting up. I feel like the more mental practice I did, the the more that that happened. Um, and like if you think about playing between two chords, and you want to play smoothly, and I don't mean just like you, you know insert lick number one, insert lick number two, right? You don't really. That's just memorized. But I mean like actually improvise something over two chords. Um. I, in order to get to that point where you could do it mentally, you have to do a lot of mental practice and kind of see, I see my hand um, connecting the dots between the chords. And that's kind of the, some of the stuff that I'll do. So you could be, you could be um, practicing anywhere if you do this. Which I think is a thing, like you kind of mentioned, like retaining things. A lot of people ask, how do you, how, you know, especially on, um, see on the Mandolin Cafe, my favorite website. If, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, how do you retain so many songs? How do you remember songs? This is a great guide on how to do that. Like when you, if you work on a fiddle song all day long, you know, before you go to bed, go to bed and visualize those changes. Hear the song in your head, visualize yourself playing it, you know, and it, it's going to help you retain that, I think, a little bit better as well. Absolutely. My memory increased drastically, um, like exponentially when I did this year, year after year, my, my, my musical memory improved a lot um, and, and, and a lot faster. Like I'll learn something and it will stick with me. If I like really drill it mentally, then it's with me. It's with me forever. It's like if you, if you one relate it to, um, and under like I, what I try to do is if I learn a song, I will try to relate it to the way I see the instrument as well as like the harmonic structure of it. But once you then pair that with your ear and your ear and hand are in tandem, like you can play something, you know, what it's going to sound like you can know what something's can sound like and you can play it. Once those are connected, your ear and your fingerboard are like partnering. When you learn something, it really, really sticks. Yeah, that's amazing. And it reminded me, too, of like, I, I I guess I don't know how I never correlated the two, but I remember taking a class in college, and I think it was a basketball coach was one of the teachers, you know, it was community mm -hmm. college. <laughs> and so, um, um, but I remember him talking about the study about free throws, you know, and it was mm -hmm. just like they had, you know, like 10 players visualize shooting free throws. They had 10 players shoot free throws, and then they had 10 players do both in the group that did both when they got them all together again later to see who did better, the group that did both did better every time. Yeah. It was just Absolutely. like, that's, yeah. yeah, that's, it's very, very effective. I think people, people think that you just, that everything is done with the physicality of actually holding the pick or actually pressing down the frets. But 
it's it's not necessarily the case you know if you only did mental practice yeah you would not be a great man (laughs) 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 but if you if you pair it with good structured regimen and practice it's it's really really effective and i found it uh, you know extremely effective another really effective thing this is this people like this is have an electric mandolin under your bed and play it before you go to bed almost every night. That's something I've done for years. So electric mandolin, when not plugged in, is really quiet, quiet enough to not get a divorce, <laughs> but loud enough for you to hear what you're doing and, and to practice. So that's a fun one is having that. Like that's where, where my that, that saga mandolin is now living under my bed because years later I ended up getting a, a jazz bow uh, Paul Estock five string jazz bow, which is, um, that's a really, really cool hand built, beautiful, um, kind of like mini arch tops, like a, almost like a mini L five guitar. Oh, wow. They're really cool. So that, that's like my main electric one these days, but I had, so the other one now lives under my bed, but I'll use it to, to practice a lot. Like if I have an idea or I'll compose or these fingerboard things are great to practice a little bit before bed, you can kind of get in this zone and it's quiet enough, like I said, to not uh, annoy people around you. <laughs> but but, uh, lo- but you can hear it, yeah. We'll put an asterisk on that divorce thing, by the way, too, just so that way, uh, if for the off chance that that's the thing that pushes somebody over the edge, let's just put an asterisk you know, on the divorce. If, <laughs> if, if, I, I would hope that if you're the kind of person that would just bust out a mandolin at 3 a.m., that <laughs> it wouldn't be like a surprise yeah. to your future partner. Yeah, that's right. They know what, <laughs> they know what they got themselves into. <laughs> they know, yeah, exactly. You that's know, right. The, a music brain is a, is a special thing. <laughs> my, my wife's downstairs right now. Our ears are like, what? What? Is, what are they talking about? Yeah. Right now? <laughs> I can like, only why, imagine. <laughs> why does he say the divorce? What's happening? Yeah, what's going on up there? Um, You'll have to explain. <laughs> yeah. And one other thing too, I want to just have you touch base on real quick on the book here too. Is in the um, the chord progression practice guide. It's um, mm-hmm. you've got a ten step practice guide that can be applied to any chord progression you are learning. And obviously, we don't want to go through all ten steps. We want people to get the book but maybe just like a little bit of a uh, what your thinking was on this portion of the book it comes later it's chapter 11 but um i think it's really interesting as well yeah so a lot of the exercises before um a lot like especially the chord ones um like for example there's one where you have to map out chromatically like g a flat a and really know know how that moves on the fingerboard so that's more about like learning every key. And then I do other things where throughout this earlier before this chapter, whether it's a circle of fifths and, or you're moving in whole steps and it's, you're just getting more kind of foundational chord motion. And then I said, and, and a lot of the exercises I do, I then apply to now a progression itself. So let, let's say whatever the chord progression is, I use a, like a, a kind of a simple four chord vamp as an example to kind of build that didn't want to throw anything too fancy uh, to complicate it overcomplicate it. But just if you were to start to apply some of the ideas from the early chapters into an actual core progression um, that those, I wanted to have like a 10 step thing where somebody can say, all right, I need to learn this song. What are some things that I can do, put it through the paces and really know it on my fingerboard. So whether it's, um, you know, knowing the root position, knowing the the 
chord progression, like the arpeggios from the third, uh, or voice leading. I, I, I run through a lot of voice leading patterns, like you go up one chord, down the other, but smoothly transitioning between the two. Those are so valuable. Those are extremely valuable for ultimately being able to flow between chord progressions. Um, and then some other things like uh, creating little motifs over each chord, short little patterns, um, or bass lines. Like this is something that as a mandolin player, you're like, wait, a bass line. Well, if you think about what a bass player is doing is they are laying out uh, the harmony with really smooth transitions between the chords, but really they know it. Like bass players have to know the progression hands down so when you get into the head of a bass player we're not going to take their gig we're a mandolin <laughs> <laughs> right and no worries you know? there <laughs> yeah we're a violin or mandolin we're not going to take the bass player's gig but we can learn a lot from them and how they would approach a chord progression because they're not jumping around a lot they have like a small range that they they do to, to lay down the foundation um, and some of the tricks that they do to get between chords is very valuable for uh, our understanding of how we can then navigate and understand and internalize uh, a core progression. So those are some of the steps and there's, there's a few more, um, but uh, there's things that I, I apply anytime I'll have to I learn a new, a new song and I, I know I'm going to improvise over a core progression. These are the steps that I do. This is kind of the, the paces that I, that I like to take you through. I love it, man. It's it's really motivating. And again, like if people are hearing them talking about the, like the, the bass lines, they're like, oh, that sounds like a jazzy thing. Go watch Matt Flinner and Mike mm. Compton back up another mandolin player as a duo soloing and watch them run these kind of bass lines and, and do these cool comping things. They don't just do chop chords. This stuff is practical in bluegrass, it's practical in jazz, it's practical in anything to make yourself a better duo partner or a better um, accompanist. This is, this, it's great, man. Uh, yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, 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 and you know, there's, there's a lot of mandolin chord books out there. I remember seeing one that had like every possible chord inversion <laughs> and those are cool and people could, could get that and so when you get this it's it's more about understanding how chords work from the the arpeggio and then sorry then voice leading and flowing and creating linear stuff and there's some there's some double stop work throughout um really important but i think i think especially mandolin players who maybe they only think in chords or they, or they all, or they always like they have, they're kind of stuck in certain things. Like hopefully it'll open some, some new, new avenues uh, to see the instrument for sure. I really think it will. I mean, again, I have, I'm looking at just a, just a stack of books. I'm just a nerd. I just go through, I'm like, Oh cool. This is new. I'll, pick this up you know they're in 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 the scheme of bad habits of buying things books are pretty easy <laughs> yeah yeah they can they can definitely collect and uh, yeah. so that was another thing like for I, i'm the same way i i love books i find them super interesting and so i but i i also think that there's more to learn away from books so as somebody to want to write a book that people would find valuable I, I'm somebody that thinks there's more to learn away from books. So I wanted to focus on things that people could act, could actually learn from a book that I find valuable with that perspective of like, I think books can be great, but of course, like some people think 
books have all the answers, right? I think it's it's kind of a launching pad. You know, the answers are mostly in recordings and 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 listening and playing along and but there are things that I find very very valuable and can open up some uh, unlock some new some new practice techniques and and oh I never thought about that kind of thing those are those are good for books and they, it's motivating you know when you find like some new thing or a new lick or anything like that for me that always just sends me on uh who knows how long trail of like, oh, where can I put this? Or, oh, this is a great idea. Yeah, and you yeah. just unlock something inside your brain. And that's Absolutely. what I'm always looking for, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that would be the, the ideal is somebody goes through a chapter and then their brain just is firing and they they try new things. They they write a song or they come up with an Oh, this could be a cool little thing that I could do on this song. I was looking for an arrangement or like a little – I was looking for an interlude, this chord progression, uh, you know, if that happens, that would be ideal. And that's what happened to me when I, when I worked on these things, I, I use a lot of these, these, especially some of the more obscure chord motion that you'll see. Um, even if you just do it as a mapping, it's great. But if you start using it, coming up with patterns, like, Oh wow, this is a really cool uh, a chord progression. I never thought about like moving this way. And, I use those in a lot of arrangements I do with like my band Rhythm Future Quartet, for example. What's your main acoustic acts? Yeah, so a couple of years back, I I got a Jacamel J5 at an auction for a really really great price. I don't know why no one was up because I, I had seen you know Grisman play one, and so it was kind of on my radar. I knew that they worked great for 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 jazz and had a really warm sound. Uh, so. I saw one at an auction and it was so badly set up like the, the lowest gauge strings. So it didn't have a sound, but I was like, it's a beautiful instrument. So I, I, you know, I got it, got it properly set up and with the right strings and it started to wake up after a few months. I love it. It's great. And so I play that actually more than electric these days. No kidding. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I really, really enjoy playing that. And I, yeah, it, it it I use it. People will have me overdub stuff like home studio stuff. I'll I'll um, have a nice like setup at my place for overdubbing mando stuff for people. Uh, the other the other um, mandolin that I got was a Northfield octave mandolin. Oh yeah, man, me too. Oh yeah, it's great. I got the like the blonde one with the maple. They're, they They're sound so great, dude. Sound great. Yeah, I reached out to them and I was like, "Do you have?" I'd heard of like one other person who had gotten like an artist thing, and it, sometimes they'll have ones like, "Oh, for this reason, it's totally fine," but like their quality control is insane of what they put out at stores. Oh man, for sure. And so yeah, so they they hooked me up with one that was there that sounded amazing. It's like, oh, it has a little thing that it's it's fine. So I was psyched psyched to get that and been exploring what's possible there and it kind of brings me back it's almost it's almost like kind of 
really this guitar mandolin hybrid. So it brings me back to exploring some, some things um, from my guitar days. It's, you know, you have to figure out some new patterns, and, uh, but it's, it's, it's really, really fun and you can create some really cool textures with it. Yeah. I love it. I, I love the thing. Norfield again, their quality control is unbelievable, man. What, <laughs> yeah, what yeah. cool stuff. Yeah. So we got two more questions left here. And the first one mm-hmm. is if you had 10 minutes a day to work on something, although with this new visualization thing, we're opening up all sorts of time now. <laughs> you don't even need an instrument in your hands for the, uh, exactly. for the mental practice. Yeah. yeah. So if you only had 10 minutes, uh, I would encourage mental practicing throughout the day, as you mentioned. But yeah, I would say do things that keep you really grounded as well as growing. So what I mean by grounded is – I mean, I like to play really slow but intentional, um, you know, thirds or like I'll do like a G major scale in thirds, but everything has to be really slow and have a nice full rounded tone. And it just keeps you connected to the instrument and keeps you hyper-focused on the important things, which is a good sound and control. I would say something like that, some exercise that, does work your left hand and works your picking and you do it slow and deliberate and relaxed uh, whether it's playing a G major scale in thirds or like an arpeggio I like staggered arpeggios that would probably be in my 10 minutes so staggered arpeggios something I talk about in the book where you play each inversion kind of unfurling um, and that's something I really like because it's it kind of covers your picking because you have to do a lot of cross picking and you have to, yeah, you have to do a lot of the string crossing work. Um, and then you have to work your left hand because you have to keep jumping. So those, those are some things that I would highly recommend. Oh, man, 10 minutes is hard. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, let's see. What else? What else? You know, honestly, one thing that, I do every time I pick up an instrument is I play through a Bach partita. So if, if somebody had learned like one Bach partita, I would just have that as part of my 10 minutes for sure. It covers so many bases, your technique, your musicality and um, yeah, basically your facility. So play through, play through a Bach partita. Um, yeah, those are some things that I would recommend, and, and maybe, um, wow, let's see, what else can you do? Do do I do I need more? We're almost at like five, six minutes here. Let's see. I think this you could do this all in about six minutes. So the other couple, <laughs> other couple minutes, no. I mean, I think it's do something within that ten minutes that makes you feel really connected to the instrument and it's like a constant reminder of why you play it in the first place. So maybe you have a favorite song that's something simple, but you just always makes you happy and makes you feel good about playing. That's something that is very valuable as well. Some people, if they think, Oh, I have 10 minutes, I have to always be doing something new. What about in, in that 10 minutes? Like, something quick and short that like you just feel really good about feel connected about and just makes you like i said feel like grounded and um reminds you of why you love the instrument that's those you know if you had a balance of that learning something new and pushing your technique i think that would be good and then do you have a favorite beer yeah so i i i like to drink local when i can 
like for example if i'm traveling to colorado i'll be curious like what the local beers are from you know a region but in here like, where i live uh there's there's some great breweries and so i love going just going directly to the brewery and picking up some cans so there's the three that come to mind like my favorite there's uh, one that's actually right down the street from me called tributary that's in kittery um they're they're fantastic and really nice nice folks it's great to like actually meet them and know them and uh there's a there's a cool one called great rhythm which is a awesome name for a beer great rhythm that's in portsmouth so that's just right down the street and then there's another one called liar's bench so those are the my, my three go-to's locally that i'll go directly to the brewery pick up um you know, six pack or if they have a new a new type that they're exploring i'll go try it you know taste it i'll be up in your neck of the woods here and just uh, uh starting tomorrow so yeah I'm, I'm, I'll, shoot, I'm, I'll, I'll shoot you these these uh breweries yeah for please sure do. you gotta try them yeah. out and i definitely so i'm loving about this trip is there's no set plan except to be in vermont by thursday <laughs> Perfect. so yeah well jason this has been great man this has been this has been inspiring talking to you as inspiring as this book is, man. I'm, I'm really glad that we got together to do this. This is, uh, this well, is so exciting. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, man, no problem. And congrats on the book. It's, it really is. And, and again, I'm, I, I, I've gotten I, – I, I buy every book pretty much that's out there. And this is – it's been a minute since I've seen one that really is well thought out from a player and an improviser where it's – comprehensible you know what i mean like anybody can pick up this book and, and get something out of this book oh thank you i really, really appreciate it yeah man absolutely and where can people find you yeah just jasonanik.com that will have uh any upcoming tour dates i'm playing with with various groups it's got a lot of videos and uh, it will link people to my youtube channel which it has a bunch of uh, Mando stuff with electric and acoustic. I did a, for a while I was doing a lot of um, things where I would just film myself improvising over tunes and people, people have been digging that. So that's a nice, nice way to, to check out what I'm doing over, over different specific songs that they're learning. So you can find all that linked through uh com. Well, man, Jason, thank you so much for doing the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. All right, and thank you so much to Jason for doing the uh, podcast. Go out and get that book. Um, it's available. I'll have links. You can buy it from halleonard.com. I have a link to Jason's website. I'm sure you can get it there. The only place I could find an ebook version of it was on Amazon that you could download to the Kindle app. Um, so anyway, go out and get that book, and I'm headed off to listen to a weekend full of mandolin-centric music. Cheers, everybody. Have yourselves a fantastic week.